Welcome to the first Intuition Student Forum podcast. On this episode, I talk about all things financial reporting, from the job roles that involve financial reports to how it can be examined in each of the various syllabuses. I recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future one, you can register for them. We'll put a link in our show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the first Intuition Student Forum podcast. My name is Ben Bullman. I'm a tutor and a director at First Intuition. And this evening, I'm on my own for the podcast. Well, I say I'm on my own. We are recording the session with a live studio audience of students on Zoom. So I've got some support. The guys listening can use the chat box to communicate with me. But I've not got my co-host Dave with me this evening. He's had a better offer. We're recording this in the last week of June. And Dave messaged me earlier this week to say he'd got the opportunity to go skiing, which really intrigued me. But he's gone off to an indoor snow dome to do some skiing with one of his sons. So hopefully, Dave, if you're listening back to this, you've had a great time in the snow dome. You've enjoyed your skiing experience and hopefully you've not injured yourself in any skiing accidents on the slopes. But that does leave me running solo this evening. The theme for this evening's podcast session is financial reporting and actually something that I could speak lots and lots and lots about. So financial reporting for me is where I started my career in accounting. I did 14 years working for a practice firm of chartered accountants. And if we think about the sorts of tasks I was involved with, most of my job role was within the world of financial reporting. So if you're listening to this and you don't know a thing about financial reporting, what we are talking about is the compliance side of accounts, producing year-end accounts, lots of rules and regulations about those accounts, where they have to be filed. So in practice, I would help students produce statutory accounts if they were a limited company, and then we would help them file those at the government's company's house register which is where all of those companies have to file their accounts and reports because those documents are public record. My career then developed. So as well as helping businesses to put their year-end statutory accounts together, I also worked for a number of years in an audit department. So my job then in audit was to go into, look at the accounts that had been produced for these companies. We were effectively checking them for want of a better term, we were confirming that the information, the disclosures, the numbers in those accounts gave a true and fair view of what the business had been doing in that period. And our firm would then put a report that was attached to those accounts to give that additional credibility that an independent firm of auditors and accountants had reviewed those accounts. Um, it's a broad spectrum but it all falls back to that word compliance. Lots of rules and regulations around how those accounts need to put together, particularly if they are being put together for a limited company. So in the UK, we've got laws. The main law that underpins this stuff is the Companies Act. So the Companies Act, a piece of UK government legislation that talks about the responsibility of directors for preparing accounts and for filing those accounts. We've also then got 
financial reporting and accounting standards. So there is a group called the International Accounting Standards Board. And if you have met my colleague, Amy Forrest, one of my fellow directors at First Intuition and the managing director for Cambridge and East Anglia, um, before she joined First Intuition as a tutor, she worked for the IASB and her job was writing the rules and the standards that companies had to apply when they were putting their accounts together. They have got lots of standards covering different areas of those accounts, telling them how they need to account for their non-current fixed assets, how they need to account for their inventory and stock, how they would account for leases and so on and so forth. And that's another area of career in accounting. Aside from doing the accounts or auditing them, Amy got a job working at the IASB, actually listening to what companies and businesses thought should be going into sets of accounts and then writing the rules that all of those companies then had to follow when they were putting their accounts together. So if you haven't got the message by now, the world of financial reporting is very, very much driven by rules, specific rules but also some broader principles that we are all meant to follow when we are putting those financial statements together. Um, from an exam perspective, it comes up a lot in different modules in all of the qualifications. I know this evening the live students that are joining me, a lot of them have messaged in the chat box saying they are studying the AAT qualification. At level three in AAT, there is a whole unit dedicated to financial reporting now under their 2022 qualification syllabus. So that's an introduction into year end accounts, how you would put through the adjustments before those accounts are made, but then how you would put together a profit and loss and a statement of financial position, sometimes called a balance sheet for the business at the end of the year. AAT students then hopefully progress on to level four, and that's where financial reporting gets a lot more involved and interesting. There is a whole unit called drafting and interpreting financial statements for level four students. And that, again, is a new unit under the qualifications 2022 syllabus. But that one gets you to think specifically about how to put a set of company accounts together. It looks at some of the more common accounting standards, the rules for specific elements and areas of those accounts. It gets you practically to put some accounting records together to produce a statutory profit and loss and statement of financial position, as well as introducing other statements such as the statements of changes in equity and the cash flow statement. It also gets you to think about consolidated year-end accounts. So if you are doing the accounts for a group, a series of companies that are under common ownership by one parent company, we would have to consolidate those and bring them into one set of group accounts. There's also an element in that exam of understanding the accounts that you are reading. So interpreting, thinking about the accounts from the perspective of maybe calculating some ratios. Have they increased their profit on last year? Have they reduced it? Is there anything you could advise somebody with your knowledge of accounts? having now read this information. It doesn't stop at AAT though. If you progress your studies beyond AAT, the ACCA qualification has got three separate financial reporting exams, financial accounting, then at the next level, financial reporting, and then at the top level, it's got the strategic business reporting exam. 
ICAW students, if you go on to do the ACA qualification, there are also three exams there specifically dedicated to financial reporting. There is the starting exam accounting. There is then the mid-level professional exam called financial accounting and reporting. And then there is the advanced stage final exam called corporate reporting. SEMA students, if you're thinking of doing the SEMA or the CGMA qualification as it's now called, there are two separate exam modules there dedicated just to financial reporting. So it's a big area of syllabus for all of the qualifications that we teach at first intuition. Okay, well, I talked about some of the rules. I also talked about some of the principles. And an area I thought we could touch on tonight in the podcast, because it's particularly useful for students when you are analysing a scenario or thinking of ways to suggest what needs to be done in the world of financial reporting, is to think about the financial reporting framework. The framework is the series of principles that is the basis for all of the individual standards to be written around and complying with. Um, and within that, we have got some characteristics that we want from our financial reporting. Hopefully, if you've studied financial reporting, you will have seen these in your notes. And it's actually quite a commonly tested area in all of the exams that I've just mentioned. So we start with two that we call the qualitative characteristics, things that make the information in our financial reporting better quality for the end user. The first one of these is relevance. Unlike management accounting, where you can put in lots of information, really whatever you want, there are set rules and the information that goes into financial reporting needs to be relevant to the user, relevant from the perspective of what would they want to know about a business when they look at their financial reports. They would want to know the assets that the business has. They would want to know the liabilities that the business owes. They would want to know whether the business has made a profit or a loss this year. So we would expect to see a P&L. They would expect to know how these accounts have been put together. The financial report should disclose the accounting policies that have been used. All of this stuff is relevant information to the user and means they can get quality information from the financial reports we are producing. The second one of these qualitative aspects is faithful representation. So I mentioned earlier that it's the directors that are responsible for producing the financial reports for a company. And the directors need to make sure that the accounts they have put together and also any accountants that are involved in the preparation of those year end statutory accounts need to make sure that they give a faithful representation of what's actually happened to the business this year. They are not misleading. We hear lots of stuff about businesses that have conned people by making their accounts look better than they really are. Sometimes we refer to this as window dressing. They are dressing up the company, making it look more attractive for somebody maybe to come in and buy the company. If the company is looking to borrow money, they know they will go through credit checks, and a lot of that will be based on information that has come from their statutory accounts. Now, the principles say this shouldn't happen. The principles say the um, characteristic of faithful representation says the account should be produced 
in an unbiased way, giving faithful information, an element of trust in their preparation to say this information should be reliable and should be a true representation. That goes a bit further when those accounts are audited. So an audit is a higher level of assurance than just I've produced the accounts for myself. This is where an independent third party firm of auditors come in and they confirm in a report and an opinion that those accounts give a true and fair view to the reader. So we've talked there about two of our qualitative characteristics, relevance and faithful representation. And I would encourage you to think in your exams, if you're asked to bring it back to that, is the information we are putting into these statutory financial reports relevant to the user? And is it a faithful representation of what's happened? It's not biased. It's not being manipulated in any unethical way. On top of that, though, we have then got a further four enhancing characteristics. This enhances the quality of the information. So the first one of these enhancing ones is comparability. If you've ever taken the opportunity to download and look at a company's set of statutory accounts they have filed, they will be comparable with a previous year set of numbers. You will see that they will give this year's numbers, so heading with 2023, for example, and they will also, for comparative purposes, give the prior year numbers. That allows the reader to draw comparisons. Has this year improved? Have they got more assets? Or do they owe more liabilities than they did in the previous year? Now, that only works if the accounts have been produced on a like-for-like -like basis. Comparability is important as long as the accounts this year versus last year are produced in the same format and using the same accounting policies. If a company changes this year the way they are producing their financial reports, they have to go back and retrospectively restate the comparatives so it shows a like-for-like -like comparison. So comparability is one way we can enhance our financial reports. The second way is timeliness. Now, unlike internal management accounts that maybe are produced every week, every month, every quarter, the financial reports are produced annually. They are our year-end statutory accounts. But what these um, enhancing characteristics say, the company should produce them in a timely manner. I mentioned the Companies Act earlier, and the Companies Act forms legal requirements in the UK on companies under law. And they say that if you are a private limited company, you have to have produced and approved and filed your statutory year end accounts nine months after the year end. If you are a bigger PLC company, so a company that's maybe listed on the stock market, those larger companies, Lloyds Bank, Tesco's, they have only got six months to produce their accounts and get them filed on public record. So that's a way that we can underpin the timeliness of the information. They are annual accounts, but we should get them produced in a timely manner because people will be wanting the latest year's update so they can make decisions about the company. And if they are making decisions about whether they're going to lend money, whether they're going to give credit, 
They want to be looking at the most up-to-date set of statutory accounts they can. The third enhancing characteristic is verifiability. So in my role previously as an auditor, we would want to go in and say, right, your statutory account shows this number. We want to verify this back to the underlying records. And we would look at something called an audit trail. Now, the statutory accounts that are produced don't show all of that background. They are just a kind of headline document. But a firm of auditors, before they will give their opinion as to whether those accounts are a true and fair reflection of the underlying accounting records, will go in and do a series of tests. You yourself might be an auditor listening to this. You might have had auditors come into your department who want to verify numbers in the statutory accounts back to the general ledger and then back to the underlying documents that support it. Very, very important then that when we're producing financial reporting, we actually think, could this number be verified back? When I was producing those accounts on our file, we would have the accounts. We would then cross reference that back to what we would call a lead schedule that would show how the numbers in the accounts could be broken down and how that could then be tracked back to the underlying accounting records of the business. The fourth one, there are four enhancing characteristics. The fourth one is understandability. When we are producing financial reports, we shouldn't make them overly complicated. We should make them so somebody with some accounting and business awareness could look at those accounts and understand whether the company had had a good year or a bad year. So not using overly technical jargon and terminology, making things easy to understand, cross-referencing and putting in additional notes to explain how we have produced those accounts. If you look at a statutory set of company accounts, it won't only show you the numbers on their profit and loss and statement of financial position. It will show notes behind that tell you how have they accounted for their revenue sales this year? What is their policy for depreciation of their non-current assets, for example? And making sure that somebody reading the accounts can also understand the basis that they were prepared under. Um, so they are the characteristics you will be looking for. Two fundamental. So the information needs to be relevant to the user and needs to be faithfully represented. And then four enhancing characteristics. The information in those accounts should be produced in a timely manner. It should be understandable or as understandable as possible. It should also be um, verifiable. So we should be able to trace it back and the information should be comparable. So anybody reading the accounts can do a year on year comparison. Another term you'll hear about in the world of financial reporting is going concern. I think me and Dave might do a whole episode of the podcast separately on going concern. But one of the key principles when we produce a set of financial reports, a set of year end accounts for a company is the company will continue to trade for the foreseeable future, i.e. the next 12 month period. And if that's not the case or there is some uncertainties about that, it should be disclosed in the notes to the accounts. So when we talk about disclosure, we're saying in the notes at the back of our statutory accounts, 
we might want to disclose some additional information. And one of those disclosures will be around going concern, either confirming the company is a going concern and the accounts have been produced on the basis they will continue for the next 12 months period at least, or there are some uncertainties. It is uncertain whether the company can continue. They are waiting for the bank to decide whether to lend the money. There is uncertainty about whether their products will be sold in the future. Anything that's uncertain around their going concern status should be fully disclosed. So that's given us an overview of some of the, the careers in financial reporting. It's also picked out some of the key elements of financial reporting that you might need to communicate in your exams. What I thought we would do to, to finish the episode and the podcast is to maybe look at some of my key exam tips for anything to do with financial reporting. So the first one, some of your financial reporting tasks in an exam will be to calculate some of the numbers. You might have to prepare extracts from the accounts. You might have to do the consolidation, for example. And because it's such a compliance-based area, there are rules that must be followed. And that means my first tip for anyone studying financial reporting exams is to learn the standard pro formas. Learn the pro formas, what goes where. You should understand the standard format of a balance sheet statement of financial position. We start with the assets at the top, but we will break those assets down into non-current, the assets that we're going to have in the business for more than 12 months, and the current assets, the assets that are going to be in the business for less than 12 months, our inventory, our trade receivables and the cash at bank itself. We will then have our liabilities. But likewise, we break those down into our more than one year liabilities, the non-current ones, and our less than one year, our short term liabilities under current liabilities. We then have a separate section of our, our statement of financial position for the equity the share capital, the retained earnings. And if you can learn the pro formas, it will really help you understand what goes where. There are also standard pro formas for some of the workings out. So in your exam, you are quite often given marks for showing your workings, particularly if we're thinking about the level four DAIF exam, there will be boxes where your workings can pick up extra marks. Also, if you're going on to do your higher level chartered exams, all of those exams usually have areas where your workings out can be marked and you can be awarded marks for the calculations. So taking, for example, a group set of accounts, one of the standard calculations that any good financial reporting student needs to understand is the goodwill working. When one company buys another company, they will pay usually money to acquire the assets of that business. They also acquire the liabilities. So what we talk about is them acquiring the net assets, the assets less the liabilities. So working out the goodwill requires a standard approach to your working every time. You start with the consideration. You start with how much has been paid to acquire this company. You then work out, have they acquired all of the company? Or if not, is there what we call a non-controlling interest, an element that is not us, but somebody else that owns some of the shares in this company? 
and we have to bring in their value next. Then we deduct from that the net assets, all of the assets, less all of the liabilities of that business at the date of acquisition. Those net assets should be at the fair value that we have agreed when we are paying for them. And it's only then if we take off the fair value of those net assets that we work out the value of the goodwill. That goodwill is an intangible asset of our group. And we would therefore include that as an intangible asset in the accounts. But that goodwill has to be reviewed each year end for impairment. Goodwill over time will naturally come down in value because the things we bought will not be worth the same now as they were then. So we would have to impair it and write off some of that goodwill asset that we would reduce and expense that to our profit and loss account. So learn your pro formas. Your first intuition study material, if you're studying with first intuition, will show you some really good template pro formas to lay stuff out in. My next tip, quite a lot of the financial reporting exams have what we call explain the accounting treatment questions. So maybe in the exam, the task gives you a mini scenario and asks you to explain how this should be reflected in the financial statements. In my experience, having taught FR for many years, these are the tasks that students really don't like. They don't like having to explain in words how to treat something in a set of accounts. But just because you're explaining it words, the first tip and mistake students make too regularly is to not include any numbers in your answer. You'll be given numbers in the scenario, so please use them. Um, let's think of an example. Let's talk about a lease. If a company has taken out a new lease contract and agreement, you might be asked, how will this be reflected in their financial statements, in their financial reporting? So if we were going to explain that treatment, I would break it down. I would break it down into the different entries and areas of the accounts that you will see things to do with this lease reflected. The first area is your non-current assets, the actual item that you are leasing. Maybe it is a vehicle. Maybe you've signed a lease on a property, but that will go in as what we call a right of use asset. And you can tell in your answer, the examiner or the marker, this is a non-current asset because the business is going to have the right to use it for more than one year of accounts. So we would put in a right of use non-current asset. You can quote the number if you're given the number for that asset in the scenario, but you can also think about what might happen to that asset in the future. Hopefully you can then say, and that right of use non-current asset will be depreciated. Each year in the financial statements, they will depreciate some of its value and that depreciation will go as an expense to the profit and loss account. So the asset will be on the statement of financial position, and each year we will depreciate some of it and put an expense to the profit and loss account. Talk about the individual statements when you are applying your knowledge of how to deal with a scenario. But the other side of a lease then is a liability. The company, the business will then owe money back as they make installment payments on the lease in future periods. So on day one, we put in the asset in one side. 
but we also put in the lease liability on the other side. Some of the students listening live tonight told me they were doing level two, and you can even go back to the world of debits and credits from your bookkeeping at level two and early stage level three studies. So the asset entry would be a debit, the lease liability would be a credit entry in our accounting records. But you can do much more than that when you're explaining the impacts on our financial reporting. You can talk about that liability being the present value of the minimum lease payments. That's a bit of a mouthful, but effectively it means the lease liability should be the amount that you will be paying back in each of those future installments, but discounted to the present value today, bringing into account the time value of money and recognizing how much would that liability be in today's financial terms. But we can go even further. That liability will be paid back in installments as you make your lease payments. And that means some of the liability will be a current liability. Some of your installments will be paid back next year or within the next 12 months. Some of those installments will be paid in years two, three, four into the future. And that bit needs to be split out as a non-current liability. Those terms, again, current something that is being dealt with within 12 months non-current something that's still going to be there in a future accounting year-end period. But you can even go further than that. Lease companies don't just want their lease liability back. On top of that, they're going to charge the company interest. So every time the business makes a lease repayment, some of that needs to be recorded in the profit and loss account as an interest expense. So again, talking about the language of financial reporting, an element of this lease repayment is interest. That's an expense of the business saying that will feature in the profit and loss account. So you can really add depth to your analysis by breaking things down, looking at the individual elements. Is there an asset involved here? Is there a liability? Is there an income or an expense? Where do those things feature? Are they going to the profit and loss account? Are they going to the statement of financial position? The scenario will hopefully give you numbers so you can use those to illustrate your point. And then you can think not only about the initial entries, the day they take out the transaction, but what's going to happen to these things in future accounting periods. They're all great ways to develop your written answers. And from that perspective, practice makes perfect. Make sure you do dedicate enough time to doing the written tasks in your task banks, doing the written exam questions that you've got access to and trying, if possible, to submit some of those to be marked by somebody else before you go in and have to do it for real in the exam and get that answer marked by somebody. Um, I hope you have found my introduction to financial reporting podcast useful. This is one of a series of podcast episodes that we've recorded. All of the previous episodes are available, so please go back and listen. We've got plans over the rest of the summer to re-release some, and we'll be doing some bite-sized ones that will just keep you ticking over with your studies if you're a regular listener over the summer. Um, so look out for future episodes as well. If you search Podbean, you will find all of the previous catalogue but they also should be up there on your usual podcast provider. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for downloading. Please share the link to the podcast with other people that are studying accountancy, that are interested in the world of accountancy and finance. 
if they will find them useful they are all welcome to download and listen but i'll be back for another episode of the first intuition podcast in the near future thank you for listening to this one take care of yourselves